Hello and welcome to another edition of An Informed Life Radio on 1150 AM KKNW. I'm your host, Bernadette Pager. I want to start off with a big shout out of thanks to all of the listeners and viewers who so generously donate to keep this show going week after week. We are trying our best to bring you the information you need to know to make important decisions in your life and to go out there and be active and influence the type of government and the type of policy that is being thrust upon you. Um, We all get the government we deserve is what I've heard in the past and holy cow is that being played out. Um, We've got two great hours of radio today. The first hour, we are going to be talking about that TAG, that technical advisory group in Washington State that has been meeting. And then the second hour, we are bringing on veteran medical freedom fighter, Ginger Taylor. So that will be in the second hour. But right now I wanna go ahead and bring on Dr. Henry Ely, who we call Dr. H. And you know, hi, Dr. H. How you doing, Bernadette? Hi, everybody Uh, listening. Yeah, um, you know, I didn't, I usually have my wonderful intro of you. People have, you know, some of our regulars have heard you before and people new to Dr. H, he's just incredible. He's a naturopath. A naturopath, he used to um, work for NASA at some point, you know, this is, am I saying it wrong? (laughs) Yeah, I've never worked for NASA. I used to work on the International Space Station as a database developer. There we go. And I knew it had something to do with space. So, (laughs) Um, you know, he's one of those Renaissance type individuals that only come uh, along once in a while where he's brilliant with data brilliant analytically, but he is also one of the most deeply spiritual, loving people that I know. And you put those two together and you've got somebody who who is such a gift, especially at times like this. So Dr. H, I'm so grateful to you and I hope you're getting some rest and I know you're taking care of yourself and you're doing that intermittent fasting to keep your immune system optimal, right? Yep. Yes, I am indeed. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm starting to do that. You know, I'm, I'm of an age where it's like, if I don't start addressing some of these little things, they'll become big things. So I better. That's, that's how it works for all of us, right? You get north of 40 and things start, the wheels start coming off the bus a little bit. Yes, exactly. So, you know, let's go ahead. I'm going to, I'm going to share my screen and, and to those who just have us audio, I will be making sure that we describe everything that we're looking at and we're going to start. Let's see, is it this one? Uh, I think maybe first I'll share this one. I just want people to know that from this day forward until the Washington State Board of Health makes their final decision of whether they're going to put the COVID-19 vaccines on the school schedule and as a requirement for daycare in Washington State. We're going to keep our homepage up to date with responses to what this tag, this technical advisory group is being shown. So if you're new to this, let me explain that the Washington State Board of Health is authorized by law to decide what vaccines children in the state will be required to have for daycare and school entry. 
They go through a formal rulemaking process in order to do this. And part of it is they form a technical advisory group who then um, they go for two or three days, in this case, three, six hour days or so, where they're presented with information um, in order for them to evaluate the shots against nine criteria to see if they are worthy of putting on the schedule, okay? Um, they went ahead, even though these vaccines are not, or injections are not licensed for most school-aged children, they're still under emergency use, uh, they've gone ahead and formed the TAG. They're trying to, um, they have said several times, especially Dr. Pettigrass, who is running the meeting, and he's also on the board, he very much wants to uh, require these shots. They're trying to get all their ducks in a row, so if these things get licensed, they can immediately vote to put them on for school requirement. And so we, we're beginning now to populate. We have got some fabulous people, like we've got Dr. H, who is here with us today. Um, on our website now, we have a wonderful um, PDF of great information that is objective data that the Washington State Board of Health and the TAG members need to know. And then you're going to find these rebuttals to specific criteria presentations that were given to the TAG. And these are being done by a wonderful nurse as well as a doctor in Washington State. And so far, they have up the rebuttals to criteria six and criteria five. And then we've just got some general information about the bias that was overriding decisions that was happening um, in that first meeting. Um, as you can well imagine, it is a lot of work because, you know, the presentations are being given by uh, individuals from Children's Hospital and from Department of Health, and we want to make sure that we give the most accurate scientific-based um, data in order for you to see where the bias is happening, where the skews is happening, where the false information is happening, and that can't be done quickly. Most of us are just volunteers you know, doing our best. And we've got these wonderful doctors and nurses and scientists that are stepping forward to help. But so keep looking there and we're going to give you the information you need. And we are praying that those TAG members are paying attention and that they will visit our website and read what we have to say so they can be more fully informed um, in their decisions. Okay, so i am got a lot to cover here. I'm going to go ahead and, and share again. And now we're going to begin... Um, looking at our rebuttals here. All right. Oops, I went to the wrong thing. Okay. Does that say myocarditis in your screen? Does that say myocarditis? No, it says uh, rebuttal still. Okay. Um, sorry, I did that wrong. I'm still get, kind of getting used to this. Let me go ahead and do this one more time. Sorry for the slow. There we want. And um, maybe it's here. There we go. All right. Had the wrong name in there. Okay. So first, the CDC and the FDA and the ACIP and the NIH, all the big entities and our Washington State Board of Health and Department of Health, the one thing they will all admit the one injury is myocarditis. You know, they will admit that happens. 
And the tag, the technical advisory group is therefore focusing on it almost as if it's the only adverse event of interest. They very much minimize it and they're saying things like, oh, well, they fully recover really quickly, so no need to worry. So I just wanted to point out, this is a quote from the Myocarditis Foundation. The area of the heart that is affected by the myocarditis will develop a scar similar to when you get a cut. The area remains irritable for a period of time, but the area of irritability will lessen as time goes on, but the scar will always remain. Scar tissue is not like heart muscle tissue because it does not contract and it cannot help the heart to pump. If enough scar tissue forms in the heart, it can lead to heart failure or dilated cardiomyopathy. So when they say somebody has recovered from myocarditis, um, they just mean um, obvious symptoms. Is that right, Dr. H? Yeah, what they're going to be alluding to is, well, first of all, it's speculative. Um, They're not going to do extensive studies uh, for long-term effects of the kids who have um, been diagnosed with myocarditis post-inoculation. Uh, because it's not going to be in their best interest to do so. So what they're going to do mm-hmm. is they're going to make statements that are unproven as and state them as if they are a proven fact. And that's what we're seeing happening right here. Yes, exactly. And then um, I got this information from the high wire. Jeffrey Jackson was talking about this, that the CDC presented some data on some follow-up. I don't know the age group here. I um, can't remember what it is because I didn't grab all of the information here, but it was 90 days post myocarditis diagnosis following an mRNA Mm -hmm. injection, okay? Um, And even the CDC is using language that is trying to sway your brain to think of this as a good thing. Uh, Proportion of myocarditis patients cleared for physical activity, 83%. But that means 39%, almost 40% after 90 days were still not cleared for normal activity. Yeah, that's interesting. Um, First of all, clearance by a cardiologist doesn't mean that the cardiologist performed any tests or anything Mm -hmm. like that. So it's it's speculative. They can say, well, yeah, they're young. They look like they can go and run again. I think one of the things that was really interesting in the last week that's come out in the scientific literature has been proof that the mRNA sequences are still available and viable for the production of the spike protein um, at least eight weeks after... um, uh, the inoculation. So if, wow. if you're setting if you're setting kids up to be inoculated annually to enter into school for something like this, then what you're effectively doing is putting them in a Russian roulette situation every single time, particularly if they've already experienced myocarditis as an injury. You're, you're just setting the stage for uh, increase of risk with no benefit. So at least two months after injection, they've got viable ability to make spike protein. Still, yeah, we, this has been the biggest question for me with this technology. It's a terrible mm-hmm. idea of a technology is where's the off switch? Mm-hmm. You know, um, right. you know, they say that it's supposed to break down, you know, quickly. Well, yeah, if it uploads into an epithelial tissue, but what happens when it uploads into the tissue that is targeted, which mm-hmm. is uh, which is the are the immune cells? I mean, it's this is one of the worst things in the world. Immune cells are, are there to eat what is not supposed to be there, destroy it and then present what they've destroyed to other immune cells. So those immune mm-hmm. cells can learn how to kill other uh, versions of, of that 
antigen. Mm -hmm. When you when you infect a immune cell, you are teaching the immune system to attack itself. And so one of my big concerns isn't necessarily myocarditis, although it's a huge concern of mine for our kids. The long-term effects for me, my biggest concerns are autoimmunity. And mm -hmm. the, the and I, I'm expecting a tidal wave of autoimmunity in all age ranges, particularly our, chi our children post-inoculation over the next few years. Okay. Very, very concerning. And these were not things, autoimmunity was never mentioned once in the tag mm -hmm. that I've heard so far mm -hmm. in the, in the two six-hour days. Um, but as you go on to look at the CDC data, it, it is very alarming. The um, people who do experience 1% 90 days later had the same cardiac status as at mm -hmm. the initial uh, diagnosis. That could be a very large number if we're talking about rolling things out and dose after dose after booster. 15% improved but not fully recovered. Another 15% probably fully recovered. <laughs> only 60, only 66% were fully recovered. So you've got 34% right. not fully recovered, you know, um, it's, it is very concerning. Um, and then they went through all these different tests to show, and they all showed signs of still dealing with cardiac issue. And Pardon the important go back up to that first yes. one you said, cause this is what irritates me about the CDC. Where? All right. Uh, go up one more, go up one more. Okay. This is what really irritates me. Look at this graphic. 1% mm -hmm. same cardiac status as at the initial myocarditis diagnosis. 15% improved, 15% probably fully recovered, but we don't know. And then 66% where they're talking about fully recovered. When you do the basic math on that, that comes to 97%. Where's the other 30%? No. <laughs> I mean, why can't we get to 100? We're talking about percentages. Why can't we have 100%? <laughs> this is the kind of stuff that you see yeah. all over this. And it's like, well, what happened to those 3%? Did they die? Or is that why we're not talking about them? Right? Wow, I mean, that, these, that's, these are the questions that should be yeah. asked. Very good. Very good. And you, I love the way you spot things like that, that they leap off the page to you. Um, but, you know, and again, it was um, on the highway that they pointed out a sentence in this presentation by the CDC looking at all this, and they said there did not appear to be a single test that was indicative of recovery. So none of the tests they could perform. Funny? 66% are fully recovered, but we don't have a test that definitively can tell whether they're recovered or not, but we're the CDC. We're the CDC. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So I, I just wanted our listeners to have that information before we now dive into um, the bits of the three presentations given this week to the Washington State Technical Advisory Group from the BOH. So one of the presenters was Dr. John Dunn, who was on the Western State Scientific Safety Review Work Group. This doctor has served um, in some capacity uh, with the ACIP, like in, you know, he has been around a long time and you know, he's sort of in the cabal of people who, um, you know, are the vaccine regulators. And I actually served on a tag with him um, a couple of years ago when they made the mistake of inviting me to sit on a technical advisory group. That, um, it didn't work out so well for them. But um, and he works for Kaiser Permanente. Shocking. Yeah. Um, and I, I've got in my notes somewhere, uh, it was announced in Fierce Pharma this week that Kaiser Permanente 
um, has said that this last year they set a record $8.1 billion in net income during 2021. Yep. Every yeah. Hospital and major hospital network is reporting massive, mm-hmm. uh, massive uh, growth um, during a crisis, which at the very least is profiteering, but it's a big point that we've made in our grand jury petition, Bernadette, about mm-hmm. they set the stage for massive insurance fraud, especially of Medicare, Medicaid. That's mm-hmm. how they're made their money. Wow. Yeah, it's it it's very alarming. And so then we have here, um, he's talking about, he, he went through all the to VSD and bears and everything. And he pretty much trashed bears and just, he had the most annoying, jolly, happy expression the whole time chuckling at things. And you see his conclusion was to date that bears has no concerning safety signals in children associated with COVID-19 vaccine. It's so appalling, right? You know, and at some point during the discussion, they had brought up the fact that the rotavirus vaccine years ago was pulled because mm-hmm. of safety signals. Mm-hmm. And that was just a hun- handful of cases. I mean, <laughs> what? I mean, how are you missing the elephant in the room? I've got some the... safety signals from bears if you wanna hear them. Yes, let's hear your safety signals. Age six to 17 uh, for data, um, for COVID inoculation uh, data in bears. Uh, 39,682 uh, reported injuries. Over 1,300 reported cases of myocarditis or pericarditis, over 2,800 hospitalizations post-inoculation, over 492 life-threatening situations, over 317 permanent injuries, over 76 deaths post-inoculation, and 17 of those deaths have occurred within 48 hours post-inoculation. So if that's not concerning, then they don't care about our children. No. Absolutely. And that, you know, that's what was so infuriating watching um, these presentations is, you know, because we're we were cut out of it. None of our community was invited to be on the tag and there were no um, doctors or scientists or anyone invited to speak, even though we asked, you know, we need another uh, we need appropriate uh, response time. Um, And then, you know, we talk about the be safe data, which is absurd. We don't have access to that. Um, And the VSD data, which we do not have access to, independent researchers are rarely allowed to look at at VSD data, which is another, for those who don't know, it's another, it's a database that the government keeps, vaccine safety database, and it includes like, what, about eight healthcare systems in the country. Mm. And I've read some of those studies, I'm sure you have as well. They're the most convoluted designs that are designed for desired outcome. Um, it's, they're infuriating. Um, but I data, control the narrative. Right. So what I did, you know, they're pulling up this information and, and what I noticed here, you know, pain at injection site, systemic reactions, health impact, and then we've got unable to perform daily duties. So they're really not feeling good after the shot, unable to work. You know, you're not going to school or work. I mean, you're, you're really in a bad way and then needed medical care. Mm-hmm. Right. They barely show the line. But this is potentially one or two percent. Right. We don't know. He's not given us the numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, let's say it's a one percent. Dr. H, do one percent of all children who experienced wild COVID end up needing medical care? Is the number that high? 
Um, the numbers on hospitalizations in children are right now averaging around 2.7% uh, are requiring some form of, of hospitalization, but the recovery rates are still 99.99% okay. uh, for children infected. So, you know, I think we, we have to be very clear here that what they're showing in their data is proof of risk. Mm -hmm. Right. And they're framing it as, well, the risk is very small. Well, no, 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 no. What you're proving is that there is risk. Mm -hmm. And when there is risk, there has to be choice. And that's where it has to fall back on the parent to decide whether or not the parent wants to assume that risk, because the parent is going to be dealing with the fallout, good or bad, from the inoculation. And this what they're trying to argue here is that it's so minimal we can mandate. You yes. Know, and that's yes. and that's not okay. The last right. laws we had on our books in the United States where if you followed those laws, they could result in a child's injury or death was slavery. So mm. we need to be very clear about that because this is going right back into slavery. It's just right. under a different name. Yeah. Um absolutely. And what they also don't tell you is that for those children um who end up with the 2% or so of children who get COVID who might need some hospital care, they don't tell you that they're, those are the children most likely to have the most severe injury to the vaccine yep. or being vaccinated will not prevent them from having a severe case of COVID, right? right? So they act as if, if they get it, they're going to eliminate these children going to the hospital. But no, I mean, you know, they've got no evidence for any of this. And well, we have, we have evidence to the contrary in the state right, of Washington. Right, to the contrary, yes. In the state of Washington, hospital, the number of hospitalizations in the fully vaccinated has doubled in one month by over 4,000. Wow. And what's really alarming about that, when you look at the uh, Washington report on what's called vaccine breakthrough, which is the number of times a person who's mm -hmm. fully vaccinated still contracted the infection, mm -hmm. that out of that, Bernadette, there were over 200 and give me one second. Let me pull up the exact number here. Um, do you want to share your screen now for this? I can share the screen. Yeah, I can share the screen. Yeah, let me go ahead. You, you go ahead and show everybody the your data share, and then we'll go back to Share it. screen. Okay, let's just share a screen. I'm going to and I'm going to share it directly from uh, from the report right now on Washington. Can you see my screen? It says SARS-CoV-2. Not, not yet. Yes, I can see it. Okay, so this is the report from the Washington State Department of Health, February 16th, and this is for data through February 5th, okay? Okay. What they're showing, and this is their breakthrough report, which is the number of times that it is that the shots failed to protect and prevent um, uh, infection. Mm -hmm. Well, that number, 358,193, mm -hmm. that has more than doubled from January to February. Mm -hmm. So the rate of failure is over 100% in uh, rate of increase from one month to the next. And that's been consistent every month that we've been tracking since November of 2021. Wow. Then when we look here um, at hospitalizations, let me just scroll down a little bit more here. And so let's make sure that listeners and viewers know that the data that Dr. H is talking about and, and displaying right now comes directly from the Washington State Department of Health. The information I was talking about came directly from the CDC. So their marketing messages do not match even the data they themselves are presenting. 100% Bernadette. And when we look at the school age age group, there's been over 46,316 confirmed uh, vaccine failure, aka vaccine breakthrough cases 
in kids um, mm -hmm. who have been fully vaccinated. So that's 46,000 times that there was a failure to protect, but this is something that they want to mandate. Come on. Right. And, you know, you know, not everybody who gets COVID after um, inoculation is, is going to go get tested and become part of that statistic. So we right. know that that's exactly. a low number. Exactly. We just don't know how, we're not sure how low, but I tell you, everybody that I talk to, you know, they've got it there, you know, that, yeah. I mean, there, this is, um, this is the reality. Every yeah. look, there's nothing you can do to stop this train. That's why we can't support gain of function research and them yeah. being able to crank out a new uh, pandemic whenever they want. You know, when we look at hospitalizations, we mm -hmm. see that there were 8,071 confirmed hospitalizations in the people who were fully vaccinated but still got sick, right? Mm. But look at this. There were 282,986 times where they didn't know whether that person who was confirmed breakthrough had to be hospitalized. How is that possible not to know that whether or not 282,000 people didn't need it or didn't need hospitalization? That's a yeah. complete failure of the public health department and, and yeah. how they're doing their data collection, right? Yeah. <laughs> And then this is where it gets crazy, too, because everybody keeps saying, well, yeah, if you get the shot, you won't die, right? <laughs> Please. In the state of Washington alone, there have been 1,523 deaths in the fully vaccinated after the vaccine failed to protect them from the infection. Wow. 1,523. And they won't, they, they won't give us the age demographics on that, but I just think it's it's mm -hmm. mind boggling to me to have people with PhDs and advanced degrees in public health and yada, 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 yeah. who are out there saying, well, this is a pandemic of the unvaccinated. And if you get the shot, it's the best protection you have against uh, against getting this, keeping symptom severity low and staying out of the hospital and not dying. Where's your proof of that? There, where, where's your proof? Let's see a side by side comparison of ivermectin and these shots, although I, I that's unethical because the shots have proven themselves to be so dangerous. I think it would be unethical would to be. put anybody in that in that study at this point. You know, I, I don't want to be um, in that study. No, I don't want to be in that study either. All righty. So um, we're going to go back here and continue on a merry way. Now, I had just stuck in as a, as a counter to what had been said about, you know, the number of of cases, I went and looked up at uh, theirs this morning as mm -hmm. of February 11th in the, um, what age group did I say? Five to 24, because those were the ages that they were talking about. Mm -hmm. uh, we had 8,364 serious cases reported and 196 deaths. Um, so, you know, wow. that's, that's just astounding. And, you know, obviously the, their, their preferred tool is um, likely far deadlier than the outcomes to um, You know, when I, I was thinking about this today, when I hear those kind of numbers, Bernadette, it was, yeah. it was just that we are seeing medicine adopt a war mentality of yeah. acceptable casualties that there's right. a certain number where it's okay, they're going to die. Mm -hmm. And that's just the way things are. That has never been an acceptable thought process in medicine mm -hmm. ever. Medicine has always been based upon first, mm -hmm. do no harm. Exactly. Right? And we're seeing this infiltration of, of ideology here. Yeah. And of course, it's for profit, but it's just disgusting. 
It is, it is quite disgusting. And so then we move on to the, the VSD that I had mentioned, you know, the database that independent researchers rarely get access to. And this slide, you know, we've talked about these, um, these adverse reactions that the CDC and the FDA admitted in 2020, that their research, this isn't just willy-nilly, gosh, I think maybe we'll put these on the list and see if they show up. The FDA and CDC did a really hard look at the clinical trial data that had come in so far. They looked at lipid nanoparticles. They looked at mRNA technology in general. They looked at all of any ingredient that had any information. And they came up with a list of expected adverse reactions. Things they knew they needed to monitor, okay? And that's what he's got on his list here. Acute disseminated encephalitis, acute myocardial infarction, respiratory distress, anaphylaxis, appendicitis, appendicitis. And appendicitis has been showing up. Uh, disseminated intravascular coagulation, encephalitis, Guillain-Barre, immune thrombocytopenia, Kawasaki disease, multisystem system inflammatory syndrome in children. So, you know, they made a big deal about, um, which is MIS-C. They made a big deal about wild infection can cause this. And they're trying to claim that the shots will cause it less. But, you know, I, I trust, I haven't done a deep dive on, on every presentation slide that they put forward. And there are other people doing that. So I hope we get that information soon. Anyway, you can see the list is huge. And this is not a willy-nilly list. This is these all have medical biological plausibility based on what's in these shots and what these shots can do. Would you agree with me there, Dr. H? Yeah, I, I, I do agree with you. And, and, you know, we've reviewed this. I was uh, doing some work for Tom Renz on the uh, data analysis from the, the DOD. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, all, we looked through all of these and it wasn't an accident that, you know, post-inoculation and, and our men and women in service, all these things by and large began to skyrocket. You know, um, when we look at the number of reported MISC cases through January 31st, mm -hmm. uh, 2022, so mm -hmm. almost two years of data, nationwide, there have been 6,851 of hmm. those. Okay. OK, that's that's such a, it's an incredibly small number when you think about the number of children who have contracted uh, SARS-CoV-2, which is over if we're under just keeping it under 17 years of age, over 10 million. Right. Mm -hmm. so, so this is a really a, 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 a small this is a small subset of, of children. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't take it seriously, but it's not really as big of a deal as they want to make it out to be. It becomes even less of a deal when we understand that they're attributing less than, uh, they're saying right now, 59 deaths meet this uh, in, in the children's age range, meet this. So over two years, you're talking about, we need to be worried about this thing, um, mm -hmm. you know, from the wild infection, because there have been 59 kids apparently who have died over two years. If we keep though, if that's our, if we, we're creating this public health model where the goals are unattainable, the goals are right. zero infections, zero deaths, that's just not attainable. Mm -hmm. And when you start establishing that kind of mentality, it gives you carte blanche to really do whatever you want, you know, yes. um, and it, it's just such a dangerous precedent that they're trying to establish right now. Yeah, absolutely agreed. Um, and every single presenter just about so far to the tag, it's like they want to numb 
this tag group to myocarditis numbers. And they're all mm-hmm. quoting this, that we will see around 69, 70 cases of myocarditis in boys, I think for every million doses of vaccine or um, shot given. Where did you um, get that number? To, to, to say, to um, prevent two deaths without acknowledging that myocarditis always, as I started this out with, causes some level of scar tissue. Right. And they, you know, 90 days later, they're not all even visibly and noticeably fully recovered. And those children will carry that scar tissue and potentially have it might shorten their lives six months from now, a year from now. They might enter a vigorous sport that they never were in, in before and the heart can't take it. And then we have an 18-year-old with cardiac arrest. So they, you know, they're acting as if these 69 will not, some of them will not die from that. I mean, it only takes two deaths. So now you're even Steven between the vaccines and the, um, 69 kids have to potentially be killed or, uh, you know, because of this die as complex die of complications due to this experimental inoculation so that a, a, a presumptive, two kids can mm-hmm. be deaths can be prevented mm-hmm. in two kids. This is all, these are all speculative numbers. This right. is the same projection model crap that the IHME was putting out at Washington university that led right. us into this, this charade. Exactly. And IHME presented at the first meeting. Of course um, they did. Yeah. Now wonder, this one. Yeah. I wonder, so how, then, I wonder how they got in there. Gee, I wonder. Yeah. So then uh, another presenter was the uh, Washington state board of health. Um, oh, to the Washington Board of Health. This was Seattle Children's uh, also presented. Seattle Children's, we protested outside Seattle Children's Hospital and Form Choice mm-hmm. Washington did and, and several other uh, amazing groups in Washington State because they were doing the clinical trials on six months and they're still doing the six month to four year old right there at, at, at UW Hospital, Seattle Children's Hospital. Um, I put this next slide up about ingredients, mainly because of the tragic irony of them, for some reason, putting a little girl in a wheelchair in that image. And they are absolutely not mentioning Maddie DeGray, mm-hmm. who, um, whose mother volunteered her at the age of 12 to be in the clinical trials. And she is now in a wheelchair and paralyzed after just one shot. Um, and of course, her information was excluded from clinical trial uh, data from Pfizer. They removed her from the study at a certain point. And then they only have her down what? Because she was using the VSAFE app as there was no easy way to accurately put in data. So they put like gastrointestinal distress, which was like a very first symptom that she had. um, And it was never updated, as you know. On our website, we do have some links to where you can read and and hear her mother be interviewed um, about their journey. Anyway, so, you know, we won't linger here too long. All of the slides, you will see bright orange that the age of the children in the trial and the vaccine efficacy, and you're going to see 95% and 91% and 100% in 16, 17-year-olds. And these are all various studies and various times they opened it up and looked at the information. Um, 97.6%. Uh, uh, Wait, this this one, review of the evidence. First, let's start with, with efficacy, okay? Mm-hmm. So Dr. H, talk to us 
about the difference between relative risk and absolute risk reduction and the manipulation of perception of how well the shot works? Well, um, relative risk reduction is a, a, a calculation that has a much lower standard of, um, of scientific uh, weight, in my opinion. Um, in the Pfizer study, for example, and many people have heard this, that there was a 95% relative risk reduction in the original trials, right? That's what led to the EUA approval. What they did was they said, we're going to take this group and we're going to give them the uh, placebo. And then we're going to see how many of them contract um, SARS-CoV-2. And then mm -hmm. we're going to give these other folks in the experimental group, um, you know, same size. We're going to see how many of them contract SARS-CoV-2. So, uh, when they compared the experimental group versus the, um, versus the control group, uh, what they found was there was a 95% uh, risk reduction, a relative risk reduction um, in the experimental group, meaning that, hey, 95% of the people in, or 95% of the people who actually contract, or let me say it better than this. There were, when you compare the uh, number of people who contracted in the control group versus the experimental group, not, there was a 95% less amount of people in the in the experimental group that contracted SARS-CoV-2. The problem with that, though, Bernadette, is there's no real, you know, comparison. There's no, they weren't all in the same room. They weren't all in the same situation. They weren't all proven to have the same level of exposures. In fact, that wasn't even something that was was tracked. Uh, during mm -hmm. the original clinical trial. So it was just, it's kind of a guesstimate. And that's what the problem with relative risk reduction is. It's like, you're not, the, the variables aren't equal. You're not necessarily comparing apples to apples and oranges to oranges. You're just saying, hey, this is what it looks like. Mm -hmm. When you get into absolute risk reduction, what you're doing is taking a higher standard of scientific proof. And what you're establishing is that the controls are stronger. And because the controls are stronger, you get a much truer understanding of what is the real benefit here. And so when you when you when the British Medical Journal um, did an absolute risk reduction on the same clinical trial, they found that it was only a 1.2% absolute risk reduction, which is not significantly uh, statistically significant. We don't mm -hmm. get into statistical significance until we get over 3% for anything. Mm -hmm. So so when you're at 1.2%, it's effectively saying, well, yeah, that that that, that didn't do much, <laughs> you know. Yes. That's what happened. And then that goes down even more, that, that absolute risk reduction goes down even more once you start introducing new variants and because of vaccine pressure and things like that. This is why we don't vaccinate um, globally in mass campaigns while there's an ongoing major thing happening because you're just going to create a lot of pressure yeah. and rapid kind of evolution of, of, the, uh, of the virus as an antigen. Yeah. So it's just it's just a terrible it's a terrible metrics. It's it's a it's a it's a throwaway garbage metric that they're using because it sounds good for them. It sounds yeah, it sounds really good. You can have um yeah, okay. I'm just gonna move forward. Um, I, yeah, than... let, me make, let me make one point on this yes. slide that you're showing though. Yes. Because it is criminal for them to still be quoting 95% vaccine efficacy this far into the pandemic. Yes. This was something that would have been useful maybe in December of 20 uh, of 2020. That's but when it's from December it's, 2020. But mm -hmm. it, this is, these are no longer relevant statistics 
the, the vaccine efficacy across the board for all of them has fallen under 40%, even by using their garbage uh, calculations yeah. on on yeah. relative risk reduction. So this is this is propaganda at this point that they're putting yes. this out there. Yes, exactly. Um, then I want to move on just to get some comments here real quick on review of the evidence for um, adverse reactions. And um, they're saying that 97.6% are non-serious. Again, stressing the non-serious. Well, that means that 2.4% were serious. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. big. That's that's huge. 2.4% well, were yeah. serious. It's Totally. Tell, tell, tell that it's not serious to a mom of someone who now has a permanently injured child yeah. or, a, or a dad of a child whose who yeah. child is now dead. Tell them that yeah. it's not serious and, and why, yeah. that, why their child had to die for the greater good of society. That's not a medical concept. That's a, no. that's a core concept. No, exactly. And, you know, I, I say this kind of ad nauseum and the absolute leaving out of any treatment, any effective early treatment protocol, exactly. you know, and just is just absolutely criminal. So we're going to, you know, I, I, we don't have time and we don't have the studies to look at how they manipulated data or what they're doing and how short the trials are. But, but Seattle Children's Hospital basically gave a summary saying that the local and systemic reactions occur in children. Myocarditis is rare. Um, it resolves quickly without long-term consequences. They have no way of knowing that. And they say the benefits of vaccination outnumber myocarditis harms 100 to 1 in males and 1,000 to 1 in females. That's what Seattle Children's Hospital is saying. Based on what? Based on what? By, that's projection. That's, that's, that's you know, it, it's not even a good guess. It's just a, it's a guess based on what they hope their profits to be. It's just awful. And then we had um, the Washington oh. State Department of Health. Kathy Bay is an RN and she presented, um, you know, we've seen her work over the years. She is, you know, vaccines are a religion to her. Um, and one of the things I wanted to point on her slide, which is so absolutely flat out lie, the messenger RNA known as mRNA teaches your cells to produce a harmless piece of the coronavirus spike protein. <laughs> that is a, that is a, that's her first bullet point. She yeah. threw the biggest lie you can say about spike proteins have been proven by the University of California, right. San Diego and the Salk Institute, right. both very pro-vaccine to be injurious by themselves and by themselves. for her to call them harmless is to negate yeah. their impact upon the endothelium upon the myocardium right. upon mitochondria upon the overall systems of the body that is that is criminal right it is criminal yeah so we got to figure out what we're going to do about that because this technical advisory group was told something that's absolutely blatantly false and <laughs> i i I, I can see her doing it. If she's not really in-depth reading the science of these mRNA products, other vaccines in the past use a portion, right, of a, of a virus or a portion of bacteria to elicit an immune response. It is usually a harmless or less harmless piece of the virus. But in this case, it's telling your body to make the full dang spike protein and not just the spike protein from the original SARS that 
two that came out, but a genetically modified stabilized, you know, mm -hmm. with all sorts of other problems going with it because it's stabilized and it's not going through its natural evolution in your body when it infects, right? So yeah, it is so wrong. Um, then I got to go back to where I can scroll it, through. Conceptually for the audience listening right now. Yeah. Teaching your body to make a protein sequence that acts effectively like shards of glass, little razor blades as it floats around in your bloodstream is a bad idea. Teaching your body <laughs> to make something that damages itself is a terrible idea and can only lead to disaster from a biological yeah. standpoint. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and she goes on to say things that really need, you know, hours of clarification, like mRNA technology has been studied before for Zika flu rabies and cytomegalovirus. I mean, you, if you give the history of those studies, these did not lead to safe oh. and effective products being used anywhere. I mean, it, it's just the I think whole, we need her... to say, oh, go ahead. I'm sorry to cut you off, Bernadette. I no, think go ahead. To, I think we need to let people know that all of these trials that happened were in animal models and they killed all the animals. Yeah. You, you cannot use, an, if you have a prize cattle, right? If you have a prize, uh, um, you know, um, bull, you can, they, they will not let you put an mRNA, you know, so-called vaccine in them because they yeah. know it could modify them in a way that makes them utterly worthless. Yeah. So, but right. for us, we, we are the new tester. We're the new guinea pig and, our, and they yeah. want our kids to be. This is insane. It is insane. And, you know, this presentation is so, so very bad. I, you know, um, we're going to write about it. And like I said, I've got a doctor and a nurse are looking at it very carefully <clears throat> to prepare a full rebuttal. But I want to take action. I mean, you know, bias and skewing of the information that's happening with everything they're being given, but these are like flat out lies. Right. Yes, right. And um, the clinical trial um, that she's talking about here for 12 to 15 year olds, that's the one with the little girl, Maddie DeGray, who is now paralyzed for life mm -hmm. and maybe even a um, like a paraplegic. I think they were saying, I mean, she has got, she has to uh, still eating through a feeding tube <clears throat> and and it says here that there were no vaccine-related serious adverse events because Pfizer cut her out of the trial. They stopped following up with her after they severely injured her. And, um, you know, this is just so absolutely um, yeah. unacceptable. It's the um, same thing Pfizer did in their original clinical trial. They, when, mm -hmm. when people were getting injured and dying, they just removed them from the, there was over 7,000 people in the original clinical trial that didn't complete the original clinical trial. And none of the, that data was used to do perform calculations like relative risk reduction and that other yeah. stuff. You know, they yeah. just, they do like, if you get hurt, you get kicked out of the trial. And once you get kicked out of the trial, they don't need to count you or even account that you ever were in it in the first place. Yeah, that's a that's a great way to make your product look safe. Just eliminate anybody harmed by your product, and there you go. Mm -hmm. Right? Oh, you got oh you got hurt. Oh well. Yeah. Tough. Yeah. You know? So you know it it really is appalling what human beings can do to each other by manipulating of language, mm -hmm. and by bias and skewing and presentation of information. So the the so the Department of Health 
um, Kathy Bay, her, her summary is vaccines are an important part of public safety to reduce the spread of disease. And vaccines are never 100% effective. The COVID vaccines have demonstrated ability to reduce severity of disease, hospitalization, and death. The full impact of COVID-19 virus on those with disease is unknown. Well, but vaccines help support an individual's immune response without the burden of disease. I mean, yeah, that's the dream hope of every vaccine, but that's not the truth with this shot, you know, or with any of the other, but we won't go with the others. Um, and then she goes on and on with Justin, you know, trying to um, claim that we have all these great monitoring systems. And, you know, we know that they're all absolutely um really poorly done or we have no access to the data you know on and on and then she includes the dod now we've got i'm going to go ahead and stop sharing here we've got the um the do uh department of defense that data that was it the um attorney you were just talking about tom renz yeah his, tom renz yeah. tell us what you know about that i i can't i'm under nda Oh, okay. Well, I guess I can say what I saw publicly, um, you can, like in a. You can share what he's po what what he's published. Yeah. So, um, and I I'm I not prepared for the details. I just know it at the latest um, Senator Johnson's a second opinion roundtable, mm -hmm. that the attorney um, was talking about astronomical increases in certain things like miscarriage and cancer, autoimmune disease among the Department of De Defense personnel. This is their records. And, you know, Department of Defense keeps really, really good records. Mm -hmm. um, and then after the attorneys got a hold of this information and began exploring it and then went a little public with it, some of it disappeared is, is my understanding. And they're mm -hmm. saying now that um, and hopefully you can grunt if I'm getting it wrong, um, that some of the data from the past is wrong, that really all these things were really high to begin with. And no, these aren't high numbers. We just had it wrong in the past. I mean, it's just, it, it's like a little kid lying. No, 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 that's not ice cream drips on the floor. Huh, that's not, let me tell you, my friend Billy, you know what I mean? I mean, it's just making up. Yeah stuff <laughs> yeah it's, it's that's exactly what it is it's just it's just lies on top of lies on top of yeah. lies on top. look listen the thing i've, I've been telling people because there's we got so many good people waking up finally right mm -hmm. and the thing i've been saying to them is first of all we got to deal with this issue of you being feeling guilty right we got you, you feel guilty that it took you this long to wake up don't don't give these people credit these are the greatest liars that have ever lived yes hands down Give the devil his due. <laughs> okay. All right. And you yeah. just and you just say it like that. And it's like, look, this isn't your fault. You have been lied to on a scale that is so epic. It 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 for people who knew they were being lied to every day, it still forced us to have to question, my God, how extensive is this? How well planned, orchestrated, funded right. is all of this? And right. it's, it's, it is beyond our ability to comprehend because of the scope of it. So give exactly. yourself that ability to not feel guilty for falling for the lies for however long you fell for. Mm -hmm. But it is time to wake up. Mm -hmm. All right. It's time to wake up and put on your big boy and your big girl pants. Because <laughs> 
<laughs> we have a lot of work to do here. Yes. To clean this up. This is wrong. Our children are not supposed to be profit centers for any industry, especially the pharmaceutical industry. And we cannot normalize children being injured by these shots, uh, dealing with autoimmunity the rest of their lives, myocarditis the rest of their lives uh, as a normal uh, childhood experience. That's ridiculous. Mm -hmm. A normal childhood experience is Dr. Seuss. A normal childhood experience is going outside and playing around. A normal childhood experience is getting in trouble every now and then because you were playing around with some stuff you weren't supposed to be playing around with. We have allowed them through data manipulation and fraud to elicit control over how we talk about this, especially when you throw in the extra ingredients of censorship. Yes. This is why you, in these tag groups, you need to have dissenting opinions. You yeah. can't have an echo chamber established of people who are perfect, are, are positioned there by pharma, who make money from pharma to sell pharma products. You have to have people in with dissenting point of view so we can get to where the truth really is. And we can right. argue. It's okay to argue. We got to right. argue about this. Exactly. And not only were, were these um, tag members chosen because they were deeply immersed in believing in fearing COVID and trusting um, public health. Oh, no, we can't be out of time, can we? Oh, darn, Dr. H. Anyway, that was such a fast hour. I can't believe the time is up. Well, I adore you. Thank you for being here. Um, stay tuned, everybody. We're going to keep on this tag thing. Go to our website. Um, we're going to be back for another hour of radio. You've been, you've been listening to an informed life radio, 1150 AM KKNW. We'll be back in a few minutes. Thank you, Dr. H. Hi, I'm Lynn Redwood, president of the nonprofit Children's Health Defense. Our chairman, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., and our entire team are devoted to ending the epidemic of illnesses and disorders plaguing our children today. Through legal action, we're working to hold industries and government agencies accountable and to establish safeguards to prevent further harm. We're working overtime during this COVID-19 crisis to keep you informed about the politics and science of rush vaccine candidates. Freedom and our children's futures have never been more in jeopardy, but we can succeed. With your help, we can stop the devastation and give our children and grandchildren the healthy future they deserve. To learn more about what we're doing and how you can help, visit childrenshealthdefense.org and sign up for our free news. Please visit childrenshealthdefense.org today. Are you suffering from a sinking feeling that the COVID-19 pandemic is being blown out of proportion and that nothing in the news is making any sense? If so, then there is a fact-based, science-driven news show designed just for you. My name is Del Bigtree, and I am the host of The High Wire, the world's most trusted news source in digital media when it comes to accurate, science-based reporting on the COVID-19 pandemic. From COVID-19 vaccine development to mask mandates, school shutdowns to job layoffs, The High Wire goes beyond providing you with the most accurate, evidence-based investigations. We send you links to the sources for all of our reporting so that you can further your own investigation and come to your own informed conclusions. High above the agenda-driven circus of mainstream media, we do not run. We do not hide from the truth. Instead, we walk the high wire. If you care about truth, then join us on Instagram, Twitter, Roku, and our website, thehighwire.com. 
Informed Choice Washington is a nonprofit organization that advocates for healthy immunity, medical freedom, and fully informed medical consent. The right to make medical choices without coercion is fundamental to our civil liberties and a basic principle in all human rights declarations. To learn more, tune in each Friday from 3 to 5 p.m. to an Informed Life Radio and visit the website informedchoicewa.org. It's time to take a stand for medical freedom. Go to informedchoicewa.org today. We need a revolution. There's only one solution. I need somebody to show me, somebody to show me love. We need a revolution. Hello and welcome back to an informed life radio and 1150 AM KKNW. I'm your host, Bernadette Pater. And uh, we had a great first hour. If you missed it, I hope you can go back later and listen to the podcast or go to chd.tv and watch the recording. Um, Dr. H was with me and we went over some of the slides that are being shown to the technical advisory group that the Washington State Board of Health has formed in order to begin trying to decide whether they want to recommend that the board recommend or that the board add the COVID shot to the school requirement in Washington state. Um, that tag meeting is those members are being are being given very biased and skewed information and interpretations. And in, in a couple of the slides we saw just flat out false statements, uh, flat out lies about exactly what the vac the, the shot. Um, is. Um, in this next hour, um, I'm so honored to be bringing to you Ginger Taylor. Uh, let's see her beautiful face. Ginger, <laughs> hi. Hello. Hello. So, you know, I borrowed, I forgot to grab your bio. So I went and borrowed it from um, Vermont. Vermont um, had you there for, uh, for something and they had this beautiful bio of, of you. So I'm going to read quickly. That Ginger is a formerly a marriage and family therapist specializing in adolescent and family therapy. Ginger is an author, speaker, new media writer, and an activist. She's the mother of two sons, including Chandler, who I got to meet in D uh, Virginia, D.C., who regressed into autism following his 18-month vaccinations. In addition to caring for her family, Taylor writes on the politics of autism, health, vaccination, informed consent, and both corporate and government corruption, and is active in the health freedom movement. She leads the main coalition for vaccine choice, and she holds a master in clinical counseling from Johns Hopkins uh, University. So Ginger's no slouch when it comes to her research, her writing, and what what she does. So welcome so much to an Informed Life Radio. Thank you. Um, and some updates, because that isn't actually an old bio. I no longer oh. lead. Yeah, that's okay. I no, long, no longer lead the main group. I have a, a group um, that actually just focuses on um, telling the church and, you know, Protestant Christian groups about, you know what, there's dangers here that you haven't been informed of. Um, and if you're following your own theology, you need to consider um, these aspects of the vaccine program before you're signing on um, innocently and not understanding kind of the threats. That you're there you're signing on to um that's called no deception you can find it at nodeception.org and um, i'm writing it substack gingertaylor.substack.com 
Oh, that um, is. Thank you so much for that. Let's repeat those again. I know people are going to want to sure. find them. Um, NoDeception.org. Um, and, you know, focusing on telling the church theologically, hey, here's where the problems are. You know, the church has been involved in discussions where most um, kind of high profile pastors come out and said, you are loving your neighbor by getting the vaccine. Um, and you're in sin. It's got a lot of them have said you're in sin if you don't get the vaccine mm -hmm. because you are not loving your labor, um, except that the vaccine doesn't, um, the COVID vaccine does not prevent transmission or infection. So right. it's a it's it's a bad argument on the science and it's a bad theological argument as well. So um, so that's where that discussion takes place. And we've got a, a great mailing list and I really have tried to take a lot of the content. I, you know, I've been doing this for 18 years now. Um, a lot of the content, the basic stuff that those who've been in the fight for a long time know and translating it for uh, for churches to be able to digest and having letters for people to introduce their pastor or their Bible study or their elders to be able to talk about um, the need for religious exemptions and being able to say no and why um, Christians should be getting involved in that. So it's a resource out there for so many nice, sweet Christian moms want to be like, you know, I, I don't know how to approach this and I don't know how to get involved in this and talk about this in my church or my Christian school. Like, how do I get them to say, no, we want these exemptions as well in this in the state battle. So that's what that's what I do there. You are such a treasure. This this is so absolutely needed. In fact, it, uh, when the show's over, I've got an email in my inbox that is awaiting this link. I didn't even know this existed, you know, and, and, you know, it's, and I apologize for that, but you know how it is. It's like, there's so many good things that are happening. We lose, we lose track of some of them now. And in Washington state, the, um, the Department of Health went around to various churches and, and they put a video together that just sickens me with, yeah. with pastors and ministers, you know, telling people it's their, you know, moral duty to get these experimental biologicals and right with all kinds of false information. So, I mean, you know, a lot of people have been talking about how this is a war of good and evil of, of you know, lightness against darkness. Yeah. and and it just, it's heartbreaking, the place where you should get sanctuary and where your right to um, to really respect bodily integrity and respect the creation of who you are and this, you know, the ability to fight up disease naturally anywhere. It should be in a church, right? Yeah, um, definitely. Yeah. And a lot, of, a lot of the churches is ill-informed because they've been... It, Look, I, I just want to jump in and say, I would love to hear more from Dr. H as well. And it was really great for me to like, I feel like, well, how great to follow him. There's stuff I'm like, oh, I didn't need to say that. Don't need to say that. He's just said, oh, <laughs> so I yeah. can jump right into the meat of what I want to talk about. And yeah. a lot of it is the naivete of people um, that we are built to be able to trust our doctors and trust our church and trust the systems where we believe that they have been built with integrity and they work in integrity um and a lot of them are just um the, the corruption that he's talking about is is just naked now it's just everywhere um but, yeah. but there's still a portion of people who just don't understand they they're just ill-informed so we want to yeah. you know through that outlet um and i'm also writing on uh, gingertaylor.substack.com in trying to you know track all this there's so much information now yeah um, and they're so you know, going back 20 years and going back 50 years, there is a history here that's incredibly rich that so few people, especially the new people, um, know. Yes. And you know, that's one of the main reasons I really felt 
a sense of urgency of bringing you on the show because the new people have grown exponentially. Oh, yeah. mm -hmm. And there are some mistakes, inadvertent mistakes being made at times for because of a lack of understanding of the history or what it is they're really de dealing with. Um, it happened in Washington State with just a complete misunderstanding of what was on like the Board of Health agenda last month that um, if they had just asked us, we could have told them, but they didn't even know we existed, right? So yeah. growing pains, right? This is growing pains. But, you know, I, anybody listening, I really, and if you're new to the movement, I encourage you to turn to the veterans, what I call the, the long haulers, right? Um, to borrow a COVID term, but turn to the veterans where you are in your community. Look for those established groups that have been out there, you know, um, in Fortress Washington, it, it's only been since about 2015. Um, and yet it's made up of individuals who were in the fight before that. And then they just kind of came under a name in 2015, but had been very, very active. And um, I believe we understand the history uh, really well, but not as well as you, Ginger, because you have been at this fight and seeing the increasing um, capture of the oversight agencies and public health. 20 years, you know, oh, right? 18 now. And it's- 18? Um and I, I, I'm like, where did the time go? This is, yeah. this is so crazy. Um, one of the, th I mean, and I want to say this to the newcomers, especially welcome. Thank you. I'm so, we're so glad you're here. We yeah. need you. We're exhausted. We're broke. Our kids are sick. You know, we are burnt out and we have all this new energy. And the crazy thing is the medical establishment and the government keep driving people in. You know, we have an explosion in movement every time, you know, and you can chart them. Um, every time California, New York um, puts a new bill in to um, remove exemptions or add new vaccines and whatnot, people wake up and be like, what? I don't want that. I don't, understand. I don't want the HPV. Why should I have to do that for my child? I never got this. This is brand new. And we see a whole new group of people come in. Nurses, you know, we start getting phone calls going, I don't want the flu shot. And I said, no, and they're awful to me now. I know. They participated in this forever, but they're woken up by the increasingly aggressive and increasingly naked corruption where we just, we see now, um, yes. and Dr. H, you know, described, you know, we can go into the data and nobody's, we used to be afraid, right? At the beginning, it was like, well, I'm not a doctor. When I came into this, I, my son regressed, um, I had heard about the vaccine autism connection in, at George Mason University in my undergraduate work in 1980 eight or 89 and i thought i'll tuck that away for later and then when i had children i had a pediatrician say oh, we don't put mercury vaccines anymore but i was like oh sorry i'm sorry and it turns out you know he flooded my newborn preemie with mercury and then my second son regressed and i had um and i remembered at some yeah. point yeah can i interrupt for just a second sure. was it because they began phasing out mercury and so the doctors were told oh yeah we're taking out mercury but they allowed the pharmaceutical companies to continue to sell to the government mercury laden laden vaccines until they ran out and so that yeah. was like into up to 2002 or three i mean my son oh, well, was born just before start, they didn't start the removal of mercury until um the at 2001 or 2002, 
Yeah. Um, so my son born in 2000, I was told there's no mercury in vaccines anymore because it had been in the news. And they hadn't even rolled the new ones off the assembly line. Um, so it was full 25 dose. Right. But then they didn't remove the ones from the shelf either. So to, you know, yes. you're still finding full dose mercury vaccines on the shelf with 2007 expiration dates. So, you know, Regardless, I mean, when we started this, it was, we really came in earnestly and there was no anti-vaccine movement. It was really just, how do we clean up the vaccines? How do we make a safer schedule? How do we, um, and how do we take care of the kids that got sick and got hurt? And they didn't respond to that. Well, then it became about, well, then I don't want the mandates. And then they were like, nope, you have to have the mandates. And then more people came in and were like, well, we need exemptions. I'm like, no, we're going to take away your exemptions. So every time every move they make brings in more people. Um, and, and there's largely two groups. So if you look at what is called the anti-vaccine movement, there's very few people that just don't vaccinate at all there, it, or are actually abolitionists trying to get rid of the vaccine program. Most mm -hmm. people are like, look, I just want a choice and I want it to be safer and I want you to do research and I want treatment for the kids who are uh, who got sick and in compensation for those who are disabled. Um, so it's just, they just want it to be what it's supposed to be and what the mm -hmm. law says it's supposed to be. Um, but everyone is called an anti-vaxxer now, unless you believe in vaccine mandates, you're now an anti-vaxxer. Yes. Um, if you speak up, if you say anything, you could get the truckers in Canada are 90% vaccinated um, and, and a background vaccination rate of the whole country at 78%. Mm -hmm. Yes. Then just saying, you know what, I want any more doses and I want my friend Joe to be able to drive still. Um, now they're all anti-vaxxers anti and they're right. Right. And what, 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 we can, what we can learn from this is they're only going to escalate. They really don't care. There is no ethical standard anymore. There's just no. what their blind ambition wants. And until we stop and say no and say we're not participating anymore, it's mm -hmm. not going to change. Mm -hmm. No, it's not. And so I, you know, I came up with a, a, a bit of a slogan is that if you're not anti-vaxxer, you're not paying attention. Yeah, that's true. Because, mm -hmm. you know, you if you know the definition of what it means to be an anti-vaxxer now, it means that you are critical of one or more vaccines or you, like you said, you oppose vaccine mandates. That mm -hmm. makes you an anti-vaxxer. So, hello, congratulations. Most of the world is now anti-vaccine. And I've got to tell you, Ginger, I'm sure this has been your experience as, uh, as well. Individuals, parents, doctors, scientists who I have spoken to who woke up because of the COVID-19 vaccines, then began to look at the other products because they're like, when you see the lie so visibly, it's it's really quite shocking the first time you see it. It's like, I know that's false. And they're telling me this and I know it's false. The distrust, it, you know, creeps in and then you begin looking at everything else. And, and I was going to try to find... Um, I was going to try to find it for Dr. Um, H, but uh, I'm not sure I can find it quickly. In the technical advisory group that is being shown a bunch of false and bias information at Washington State, one of the presenters, in order to justify requiring COVID shots for children when so few children are harmed by COVID, he had a slide that said, how many children, um, oh, it's not on this computer. I can pull it up on this one, um, used to die annually before the CDC recommended those vaccines. And Wait, you know, here, I'm going to read you to it. Where, oh, tag, there we go. 
my desktop is a mess. It was in this presentation here. And I, you know, I, I think a lot of people were absolutely shocked because everybody's been led to believe when you bring your little baby to the pediatrician, that if you don't get, you know, this shot or this shot, that they have, they stand a really risk of dying if they catch that disease. Fear is being put into them. So there's a slide that says placing things in context. Other vaccine preventable diseases and the deaths per year prior to recommended, prior to the CDC recommending them putting them on that pediatric schedule. So for hepatitis A, and this is in 18 and under ages, for hepatitis A, on average, there were three deaths a year. So they want every child in the United States of America to get, is it two or three, I forget the series on Hep A, when there's three deaths a year. Um, meningococcal ACWI 8 before the recommendation, varicella 16, rubella 17, rotavirus 20. And they're like, so we've, we've had, and this one year time period, um, children age five to 11 got with COVID-19 deaths. And we know these are severely immune compromised. We don't know the PCR, you know, cycle threshold level or anything, um, Anyway, 66. So they said, wow, there's a whole 66. Of course, we're going to vac vaccinate all 8 million children that are born into the world every year, right? Um, yeah. They're revealing, you know, and they're trying to justify the shots for kids. They're revealing that the whole program has never really been necessary. And it's just like everybody's now realizing that experiencing disease for 99.9% .9 of people is usually a good thing. It exercises your immune system. It, it builds durable and long lasting and broad immunity um, that serves you as the virus grows and mutates. It still continues to give you some protection. It's protective against some cancers, blah, blah, blah. We know all that. We've known that for all these other pediatric diseases, but you know, couldn't get the world to listen until now. Um, uh, no, we had, let me say, we had um, one, uh, the, one attempt at a vaccine removal, exemption removal in Maine in 2015 that failed. And yeah. um, we had put in our own bill saying, hey, you know what, since we cannot sue at the federal level for vaccine injury, here's a good state program called the Vaccine Consumer Protection Act. Yeah. And it would create a state board, a process um, of doctors blessed by the state when you have a vaccine reaction, you're told to take, your, take it back to your pediatrician who caused it. And then he's supposed to have supernatural human powers to be like, you know what? I might have gotten your kid brain damage. Let's check it out. Like, this isn't yeah. how doctor thinks. They're like, no, 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 I didn't do this. Plus, they're actually, they could be sued. So you're setting up for failure right there. How about we yeah. have some, two doctors, one doctor per congressional district that can do this, do it objectively, help them go through the vaccine injury compensation program, help get that child treatment and care, do, you know, a standard of care evaluation. And hey, let's actually do this right. Um, not an anti-vaccine by any stretch. And when it was over, we asked, we had more than 20 either individual doctors or AAP, AMA, all of these groups um, that were the medical establishment in Maine. And we had said, you know, we want, part of it was, we want doctors to know and have to use vaccine package inserts and have to know and use um, the vaccine injury table so that they know what to look for and, and, you know, when we have a standard 
um, vaccine injury, they need to know what to look for and be told, oh, evaluate for this isn't this how you do it. And when they came back, they actually testified against themselves because most of them said, um, when talking, trying to talk about the BICP, they talked about theirs. They didn't know the BICP existed. Mm -hmm. The program the, the to compensate their patients. Well, and one of the hospital systems said, um, yeah. we're not sure about vaccine package inserts. Vaccines are administrated differently than regular medications. We don't think there is an insert here. Oh, goodness. They didn't even know if there was an insert. But yeah. tell yeah. listeners what um, BICP means. Oh, the Vaccine Injury Compensation Program, which the 1986 National Childhood Vaccine Injury Act, when it removed liability from um, pharmaceutical companies for the vaccines, through death and injury for the vaccines that they um, that they use. So I can no longer, I can never sue for my son's injury in violation of the Seventh Amendment of the United States, which says anybody with a dispute over $20 gets access to a civil court. Um, they, they ended that against pharmaceutical companies. So... Um, then the medical community, AMA, AAP, all et cetera, um, who said, no, 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 we want these vaccines to be liability free. Um, they were given this alternative of families going to a vaccine injury compensation program. Um, they were supposed to be generous. It was supposed to have a low standard, a low burden uh, of proof for families. Um, and it was supposed to be quick so they wouldn't spend 10, 20 years in um trying to litigate something mm -hmm. and so what they did was they just once they got that they just said we're not going to pay attention to the programs in place so they it, it set up the vaccine in uh, the vaccine um, adverse events reporting system but those doctors who lobbied for this don't use it and there's no um consequences to them for not using right. it and the doctors who were supposed to go, oh, you think your child was injured? Let's get you evaluated. Let's get you through the compensation program so you can, so this child will be paid for. Um, they don't even know what it is, so they have kept doctors purposely ignorant. Um, you know, and this is why it's hard with doctors these days. I, it's it's tough when some of them really still don't know. At this point, I'm like, if you don't know, you don't want to know. I mean, it's kind of uh, you know, mm -hmm. they've made a choice to stay ill informed, um, but they still. There's no accountability. And we're hearing from a lot of whistleblowers that doctors and nurses are being coerced and threatened and yeah. said and told not to report the COVID injuries mm -hmm. um, because they're just yeah. too much. It's just so unethical. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So it's all the systemic problems that you have you've been seeing and you've been valiantly I hate the word tirelessly because we do it even though we're tired. Yeah, it should be despite being tired. Um, Ginger Taylor fights on. <laughs> um, well, I had to take the take break for two years and COVID started. I went, you know, I'm going to tap out for a bit because I just I need to keep the family together. I need to whatever. And I'm back in um, because you really don't ever leave this once you understand it. You're like, I, you know, you got to keep talking. Um, right. But I want to say, because there's like, I want to go back to talking about um, all the newcomers, because okay. there's there's a phenomenon that happens every cycle when we have new people come in. Um, we'll get these energized people who are, you know, competent and do stuff and, um, you know, come straight in like, here's what we need to do. And um, they they don't understand how corrupt the vaccine program is because with every other system, you've got a backstop of, well, we can just sue them into oblivion eventually if they won't stop what they're doing. Um, but there's no such backstop there. So the, they don't have to do anything. They don't have to tell the truth. They don't have to 
they, the epics go out the window. They are not afraid of getting sued. There's there's nothing. So people come into this a little bit naive and they go, well, I got these laws passed in, in my state and I have this when I, I do that. And they come in very confidently and want to go run and do the things that make most sense and make the arguments that to them have made sense. And, and they'll kind of blow past the, the old timers who have already made those arguments. And, you know, they there was kind of a, I remember when California kind of exploded in 2015, there was kind of a um, an understanding from a bunch of new people that started new groups to say, literally were like, these old California people, they don't know how to get stuff done. And I do, because I've, you know, I've done this, that, and everything. And um, we were like, hey, Sonayan, you know, I, 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 I know you think that this is a good approach and it makes total sense from where you're standing, but we've already tried that. We've already tried this and this is how they've inoculated people against it and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, no, let's go. And, and then they lost, you know, and about a week before I had a conversation with one woman. I was like, no, it's, it's, it's way worse than you think it is. And she's like, but we're still going to win, right? I'm like, oh, no, you're not going to win. They've already decided the outcome. Um, yeah. But you're doing a great job and do it anyway. And when you lose, you know, it, they t- it likes new people take a year yeah. to go, oh, I didn't understand how corrupt it was. So I want to encourage yeah. new people to be like, how, however cynical you are, be more cynical. Like, however, yeah. like the things that you're paranoid to happen, don't talk yourself out of it. Like, I think they are willing to go all the way to the mat. Will they arrest people? We always say, well, no, they would never do that. Yeah. Now they're arresting people in Canada today and they are um, putting people in Australia in, um, you know, camps. Mm-hmm. And it's, and I'm like, I don't think that there is a, you know, I keep wanting to be like, well, people would never go so far as to blank, but they're going that far. So yeah. I, yeah. I, I encourage people like leapfrog over the naivete. It took me a year to go, oh, they're doing this on purpose. They know, yeah. they know there's all these injuries. Yeah. It took me a full year. So, yeah, no. And, you know, I started off that same way. You know, I'm a Pollyanna, hopeless optimist. And when I first entered in a big way, this, I just thought, well, they just don't know. And a lot of them don't, you know, the, especially a lot of the, I think the biggest problem is our enemy isn't Pfizer and Moderna and Janssen and and Merck. I mean, they're bad entities. Our Mm -hmm. enemy though is our own government. It's the federal oversight agency and the public health, because those are the ones pushing all this on us. They are supposed to be protecting us from pharma, but instead they're pushing pharma on us. So, and that is why it is so difficult because that they've got billions of tax funded dollars that control every aspect of vaccines. And we've got our own taxpayer funded public health agencies lobbying in the state capitals and in DC to push all this nonsense against us. So it's our own government against us. And that's, I think, what makes it so bad. But I was very naive in 2015, 16, and even in 17, I'm like going to the meetings and bringing them studies and gosh, mm-hmm. you guys, you know, I mean, you know this. And once they know, and but this, it was weird. It was like, they couldn't hear me. Yeah, because if they could hear me, it would shatter their world. That cognitive dissonance was so mm-hmm. big. And then, you know, and at first they were inviting me to do things and, and, and participate when they found that didn't shut me up. Then they began the more like, just don't engage with her. You know, they shut yeah. down a whole HPV roundtable because I registered to attend. And, <laughs> um, you know, so then they just go to avoid you and. And it's really sad, you know. Um, so, so what's next? So, what, what 
how can we reach what uh, what's your next level advice i i love that number one is um what what was it you just said if you if you're a little bit skeptical be more or no there's yeah, another word more. like and you we have a tendency we want to give people the benefit of the doubt right yeah we want to and we recognize that some of the people just don't understand they just don't understand they haven't seen it yet or they're still in the cognitive dissonance la 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 phase oh, i can't listen i can't hear it um but there are a small minority of people who drive this and they are they are feeding people when when dr h says that you know this is a the expertise at lying that they are doing now this is these are lies like no other time in history um the science and the research behind Department of Defense level research on how to manipulate and how to control uh, populations in times of war. This yeah. is, um, yeah, that's my field is psychology. What they understand about how to use fear to drive humans into, into a net or off a yeah. cliff is, wow. it's, there is no, he's right, there is no other time in history. There never has been the quantification. You know, Sigmund Freud, 120 years ago, he started really the, the, larger discussion on how the mind works and how to manipulate people and how primal fear is and this is everything they do is fear-based your child will mm -hmm. die you will die you need us um mm -hmm. and and he's right i have been in i've been doing this stuff for you know almost two decades and i still would go well should i oh what am i doing you know i'm hearing mm -hmm. those lines and they get in because they're over and over and over and right. I, I had to drive my mom to the hospital i've cut out the tv i've cut out the whatever and i got on in her car and i the radio just came on and it immediately was like covid 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 for 20 straight minutes and I'm, what am i doing because it's just it is really it's yeah. stunning um yeah. so I, you know we need to cut out those media you know if you're not paying for the media you are the product um and they are you know your facebook your all your social media all your you know mm -hmm. the way they're driving people so we really have to decide which voices we're going to listen to yeah um but the thing is too about our opponents is they are um they have a hundred year plan right we react like oh there's a bill oh they want to take away our exemptions oh what do we instead of going you know what we need to look at the next hundred years because they are really about how to control people. You know, in 2020, they were talking about Agenda 21. I was like, oh, that's so crazy. You know, I've been talking about Agenda 30 and we're like, oh, they actually have an agenda. And, you mm -hmm. want, it, and then they're out saying, here's what we want by 2050. You will own nothing and you will be happy. And we will be in charge of you. I mean, they're not even, it's naked. They're yeah. just out there. They don't care. Um, and I wrote a piece um, Two weeks ago, on uh, it's Ginger Taylor at Substack.com, and it's about um, making about making that leap forward. It's when we need to stop reacting to whatever they're serving up, and mm -hmm. it's you know, and what is our agenda, and what do we actually want? Because what we really want is to control our bodies. Period. Um, mm -hmm. And we have an idea of. Um, you know this vaccine, but we really are talking about control of the human body. For, for the next 21st century and beyond, and technologies that we haven't even thought about yet. I mean, if you think about, you just go to science fiction in mind control things, and Elon Musk is trying to work on brain implants so people can talk to machines and integrate, you know, and I, 10 years ago, I was like, you know what, I don't want to be a Borg. I don't want to be connected. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> I don't want to be a Borg. <laughs> exactly, I'm like, you know, I, there's a lot of health advantages I would like to have about things, but when it comes down to like, you know, transhumanism, modifying my DNA, that was crazy. Um, but it's not crazy, right? It's mm -hmm. um, now we're doing it. We have something called a vaccine, quote unquote, and it's 
um, it's a DNA, it's a genetic modifier. It is, we are changing the human genome. Um, and we're already into it. We're already into transhumanism before there was ever a conversation about it. So really mm -hmm. what we need to jump forward to um, is the idea that we need to have indiscrimination based on biological status. And this came from, um, shoot, uh, 20, I think it was 2015, we had uh, five bills. You know, they came hard in Maine and they wanted to, um, they were going to remove exemptions and they were going to cut them off and you wouldn't have to get, you know, permission and, um, but there was one guy who was like this one hit wonder who came in, a legislator came out of nowhere. And until he put this bill in, nobody knew it existed. And it was, um, so he had no input on it. He was just this upstart. And he, Maine in every state has um, a human rights commission and a human rights legislation to say you can't discriminate in public housing or in education or any public um, thing. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the discrimination based on race, religion, disability, and all of the all, sex, all mm -hmm. of that, right? And mm -hmm. so he wrote a simple little bill, it was one sentence, and added in that you could not discriminate based on vaccine status. And I was like, this is interesting. And we, and we kind of just showed up at the hearings. So we didn't even know it was there until somebody said, hey, there's going to be hearings on something. And Mary Holland was working on it with our stuff at the time. And I was like, Mary, look at this. This is a fascinating idea. And she went back, she's like, this is amazing. We started talking about it. And she said, you know what? The language is wrong and it, and it runs afoul of other laws in the state. But we need to start looking at ending discrimination based on biological status. Yes. And we had that for like, for the AIDS epidemic, we had that, that you start, you know, somebody who had AIDS, you could not use that to ruin their life or, or deny them services. Um, California, the hepatitis B vaccine, you have to you get thrown out of school if you don't have the hep B vaccine. But if you have hepatitis B, you are protected and you're right. in a protected class and you right. can't school. Which in Washington is, state, yeah, it's ridiculous, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, so we need to jump forward. Like, you know, we have untold number of possibilities in medicines, in technology, in implants, and what what have you. It, it, and if you look to the science fiction, there's all manner of interesting things. But if, what if I just want to be like, what if I'm Amish? What if I'm born and I want to go, you know what, this is me. I survived the evolution of, you know, toughest laboratory there is. Um, to, you know, of all the people that had to come together and make me and make yeah. it to my 53 years of age, you know, yeah. I want to be, oh, this is me, you know, and I have great things about me and I have things that I would love to change about my body, but I just want to be me. And I don't want to do business with this person or that person. I shouldn't be able to be discriminated against for not just for this vaccine, but for yeah. every medical technology yeah. for the next 5,000 years. So they really, they really want it because it's such a massive market. They want to make it illegal to be naturally susceptible to infection. Yeah. And they are denying our right to natural immunity and natural immunity for every infection they have attempted to target has always been superior. Mm -hmm. And so the, it's, it, the game book is, you, if you're going to target something with something, you're going to call a vaccine. These genetic therapies are not vaccines, but if you're going to call it a vaccine, then you have to suppress um, anything about effective treatment protocols. You have to instill fear that if you or your child gets this disease, you're at high risk of dying or having a really bad outcome. And then all you can do is talk about the vaccine product. This is this is their game plan, and it is absolutely dying people the denying people the right to 
natural infection, to natural mm -hmm. immunity, and that has got to end. We are human beings that deserve the right. And you know, you know, Ginger, that after, you know, when when the idea of vaccination inoculation first began more than a hundred years ago, we knew nothing about the immune system. And there is so much more now known. In fact, I bring up often that in 2015 or so, I believe, it was discovered that the lymphatic system is actually directly connected to the brain, enters the brain. And, you know, the lymphatic system is what is immediately impacted by an injection because, you know, your white blood cells and your immune system reacts and it's somewhat at first localized and that, you know, I'm, I'm pointing like to my underarm, like the lymphatic system in your underarm, but whatever gets there then circulates in your whole lymphatic system and can get to the brain, they now know. And the University of Virginia, who discovered this, said they're going to have to rewrite all the medical textbooks. But, yeah, it's a, that's not they, the only one. But I think there are four, like in the last five or six years, there have been four medical discoveries that, at least four, that of new organs and organ systems. Yes. We found that the brain is actually connected to the skull by little microtubules um, yeah. that when there is a head trauma, they're from the bone marrow, injects marrow into the brain immediately. Wow. We were not doing brain surgery, you know. Wow. with that in mind. Um, there, is a, there was a new nerve that they found, um, mm -hmm. a new kind of nerve they'd never seen before. And most recently, this probably three, three years ago, three, four years ago, um, a new organ that literally stretches all over the torso. And yeah, they're like, we, maybe, and, and maybe this is why acupuncture works. Like we don't, right. we don't know, we don't know yet. Yeah, like are you talking about like the interstitial? It's kind yeah. of like the 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 liquid of us that is yeah. there, and then probably why massage therapy and acupuncture and acupressure, um, mm -hmm. part of the way you know the way your body and and yeah and injection with a needle, um, all of these new discoveries can at some point um, disturb that and impact that and things can travel in a way. And, you know, they did the animal models with these COVID shots to show that whatever is injected does end up in every organ of the body in all sorts of places. Um, yeah, so, so much is learned. And, you know, but when you, this is, this is mankind's, I guess, sort of downfall is something new is discovered, the hypodermic needle, right? Um, and then people figure out how, to make a lot of money on some bit of knowledge. And then there's more discoveries to say, oops, you know, um, there's some harms and things you didn't know and you need to move beyond them. But if there's enough money that's vested in not knowing the new science and not knowing, right? Um, right. Yeah. It gets perpetuated. Yeah. Once those revenue, once there's a revenue stream, there is an yeah. entire infrastructure around protecting that revenue stream yeah. to until they are forced to stop. And now they yeah. have basically all of the checks and balances and measures they've gotten out of the way. They've got the courts out of the way. They've got the Congress, um, local legislators, and there. I mean, and there's really not anywhere that they will stop. I mean, the yeah. part of the strategy has been divide families get parents to hate each other so much that they get divorced, get fathers to stop talking to sons, um, get young teenagers to lie to their parents. I mean, they're like, no, we'll destroy the fabric of society to protect our revenues and to get a, get a genetic um, therapy approved, which they, for 20 years, they haven't been able to do this through the actual process they're supposed to be to prove safety and efficacy. Right. 
So they're like, well, let's get an emergency going right. and put this out there as a vaccine and then it'll get picked up and picked up and put into six month old babies. They don't care. And I guess that's probably my biggest uh, you know, point that I want to say is like, they just don't care. They're either actively involved in the cover up. That's a minority. Um, but most of them are just, they were just going along doing their job and they're in there and all of a sudden they wake up and they're in too deep and they're like, but I, you know, and how can they get out? And we're seeing a minority of nurses being like, nope, we're out of here. Um, we're seeing some doctors stand up and be like, you know what, Meryl Nath, love her. She has amazing and she's been an incredible resource in Maine. And they have just yanked her license because because they, they haven't really given a reason. They won't tell her yeah. why. Um, it's because she testified in the courts in Maine. Um, so there's, you know, there's a decimation of medical ethics and function, you know, medicine really isn't functioning anymore. It's not a healing thing. And I, I realized with the, the health services you pay for, those work, right? Because those systems collapse when they don't have good results. But the ones that nerds are covering, um, they make you sick or they don't heal you. So, you know, I really want to encourage people, everybody goes through this in stages, and we really did this for the last two years, is become independent from these systems as much as you can. You know, change your food, shore up your bank account, get, you know, I tell people like, go clean up your life. If there's something that 15 years ago you did, go confess it, clean it up, pay back anybody you took money from, and free yourself from just all of the trappings that have a hold of us so that you're able to say no to people, you're Go, you know, go to cable. You are you getting rid of cable. Like, figure out what you don't need in your life and doesn't build into you. And what is financially propping up? Oh, Catherine Austin Fitz. She did a great interview with Del Big Tree last summer. I'm going to say where she was like, "Where's your money? You know, what bank is your money in? Or do they hate you? You know, I left Facebook last week, which was huge for me. It's 2009. It was a lifesaver. We had these brilliant relationships there. We organized there, and finally saying, you know what, I am supporting my enemy. Mm -hmm. I can't do it anymore. So left and went to locals. Ginger Taylor at locals.com. Come see me there. So there's it left Twitter. So how do we extract ourselves from all this? How do we build healthy lives? How do we get rid of the fear injections that we are getting? Um, so that we can, like I said, the more and more I um, look at the Amish, I'm like, I really need to emulate them more. They're like, here's our standards. Here's the objective truth of Christianity and the gospel. And, and that's where we're going to draw the line. And we're not going to associate with, and they get protected. So there's a great, um, I know I'm kind of rambling here, but there's a uh, passage in scripture that says, do not be bound together with unbelievers. And there's another passage in scripture that says, you know, what fellowship does darkness have with light? Who are you do? you know, who are you involved with? And I read that and I went, why would I ever have, ever have been financially involved with Pfizer? Um, the biggest criminal um, corporation that there is had the biggest criminal fines um, are are felons. So why am I buying any product from a felon? Johnson and Johnson, everything that they've just gone through um, in the opioid epidemic. Why would I do business with that? Why am I doing business with the vaccine companies? Who, if the worst case scenario, if my child dies, they they nobody's going to miss their tea time for golf they don't care mm -hmm. um so why 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 would i do i wouldn't do business they're mafias why would i do business with mafias so mm -hmm. like really really thinking our healthcare um to try to be like you know what I, I, how do i not give money and power to people who hate me and are just be fine if i die as long as they get my money it's it's a really it's a hard it's like sifting through your whole life and like what is the objective standard what is truth i mean you know dr h talking about they just lie truth means nothing 
Um, and how do we get back to that? Um, and how do we how do we clean up all the parts of our lives? It's been a couple of years of kind of going through and being like, oh, you know, and nobody ever does it completely. But being able to free yourself from if you need to change jobs, if you need to like how start your own business, I don't know. It's it's we're so wrapped up in the worldliness and the worldly values of money and power. And um, but people are getting that and they're getting back to like their families. Right. Yeah. You know what? My, wife, my husband and my kids are more important than my career in you know being like skyrocketing and i don't need the i don't need the best car i need a car that works and serves the family that kind of stuff so yeah. i just want to encourage people to to examine your lives because the farther the more risk you're taking on the more vulnerable you become yeah. to these corporations yeah so so um getting back to newcomers to the movement with mm -hmm. who have a lot of energy and feel like they can go in and and change the system, what would your advice be? Um, where do you think they should focus their energy? And, and of course, we do hope they will turn to the veterans when they have ideas to say, did you ever try this? What was your experience? What do you think? Where do you think they should focus their energy after they consult with a veteran? <laughs> yeah. Um, you know what? I really, if you're coming in, and you've got energy and your bank accounts full and you're like ready to go run for office i really think we don't have enough people running for office mm -hmm. and you're not tagged yet right nobody no legislator that doesn't already um you know i wasn't super effective in talking to legislators anymore because everybody knew who i was so if they saw me coming and they didn't like me they were like they're doing this right <laughs> um, so 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 there's those of us who have been out there and been grizzled. There are fresh right. people coming in who can talk the talk and walk the walk and then yeah. get into legislators' seats, um, town council even, because um, yeah. my town in Maine has a masking mandate right now. And, you know, in, in state legislatures, um, I really would consider doing that. Um, you know, I. I think that's excellent advice because, you know, having moved from Washington State, where I'm still very active, mm -hmm. um, and I've got their offices that I could walk into where it's like, yay, they're glad to see me. But mm -hmm. unfortunately, the dominant are the ones, you know, who have the power. We know that all the really good bills are just dead on arrival. They arrive mm -hmm. in the health committee, they're dead, they're, they're going nowhere. And so really elections in those states and in, in, in the states you're dealing with um, until those seats are filled with people who really stand for medical freedom, um, you're not going to get anywhere. And I tell you my experience in Tennessee. Oh, Ginger, you got to come visit me and let's come walk the halls because I walk the hall and I'll see a senator and I'll see a rep that go, oh, hi, Bernadette, you're going to come by and see my office and see me? You know, I'll be there, you know, I'm on the way to committee, but I'll be back, you know, and or I'll just peek my head in and there'll be at the desk. And in fact, my my dear um, senator, his name's Nicely, he's this dear um, older senator, I just love him. I'm losing him because of, re of redistricting. Be distant, mm -hmm. but I just poked my head in there on Wednesday, and he had people in his office. And he's like, Oh, Bernadette, come on in, sit down, just ignore them. And he sat there for a few minutes, pulled his chair up close, and said, You know, we talked about a bill, you know. Um, and it was just, it was just fabulous the welcome that you get. So, we need to populate our legislators, mm -hmm. uh, legislatures with individuals who, when a Bernadette or a Ginger walks in. It's like, oh, hey, forget what I'm doing. You come on in and talk to me. Yeah, That's, we can do that yeah. because there are states yeah. where it exists. And, and now I've experienced both. 
um, oh yeah, I'll take this anytime. Yeah. Aside from running for office, you mm -hmm. know, the people in your, in our movement who are running for office, you show up for them. You donate, you make phone calls for them, you knock on doors for them, um, whatever you can do. And your, you know, money's good, but faces are better. If you're knocking on somebody's door and saying, let me tell you how amazing Bernie is and why you need to have a <laughs> in the legislature. And, you know, here's the literature and see the polls. That's great. Um, there's also, you know, this is something that haven't been widely discussed, but I think that it's a powerful thing because we talk about that there's two there's a bunch of different groups that we've all come into this community, but there is a divide and there's people who have injured family members who, or who are injured or kids are injured and there's people who don't want to get hurt. So we have these two people who are, um, they're, they're, they have, have different things that they want, but they're aligned with each other really closely. And, you know, and I thought, well, if we have teams of people, you have the benefits of history and depth because once your kid gets hurt, all you have to do is sit and read research, right? You end up knowing everything and all the history because you know you're not going anywhere. You just this is we become people who stay at home and end up reading, researching all this stuff. And then you've got people who haven't been injured, um, who say, you know what? Here's the thing. The reason I'm here is I know what happened to my friend Susie and her child, and I know that you won't do anything about it. So we're so we we left the program. So until you help Susie and little Billy. I know that you don't care about what happens to my child. And mm -hmm. they, they get both the um, street cred of the person with the healthy family and the, um, it, it's both, it's, you know, it's the, I'm not saying this well, but it balances, it makes the person with the injured child credible because they're not, um, they can't be dismissed because the person who, is wealthy and can dress well and do her hair and put her makeup on, which we can't, right? We're kind of fried. Um, <laughs> like, what they say is, I'm listening to Susie. I don't care what you say anymore because I see what's happening with Susie. And so they both add to each other's credibility in that Susie's story is understood. And, and um, you know, and, and the woman in the suit is, um, she has donors and people listen to her and you can't go oh she's crazy oh she's desperately looking for somebody to blame i just think there needs to be kind of partnerships and affinities and groups yeah. can match up women um to advocate together right and 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 newcomers do not shy away from individuals who have been wakefielded because yes. everybody will be wakefielded you well, can't get into it thinking well i'm not going to invite yeah what Actually, you will be too. Brace yourself. It's coming. Yeah. You're and, gonna and no one comes. Yeah. Right. And so you can't get into that position of I'm gonna hold a conference and I'm gonna not invite so and so and so and so because their reputation's been trashed. Everybody's reputation will be trashed. And so we as a group have got to be absolutely honoring. It's a badge of honor to be Wakefielded. If, mm -hmm. if your name is not being attacked and you're not under fire and being called this anti-vaxxer, which again, I believe if you're not an, if you're not an anti-vaxxer, you're not paying attention, um, then you're not saying it right. You're not being loud enough. You're not being critical enough. You haven't stand up tall enough because that's what happens. And we have got to support each other and we need to celebrate the people whose reputations are being attacked. That's not to say there might not be some, some fringe elements mm -hmm. who are saying things that 
that are undermining us. I don't mean that because there are some people who are on the fringes or are getting the science wrong and, and they're, they're causing harm. I'm talking about our people of reputation. Mm-hmm. You know, my name out there is, you know, Bernadette, the biggest anti-vaxxer, you know, in Washington state and hopefully now in Tennessee. <laughs> Um, we have to support each other exactly as they say, because we give each other credibility. Their judgment is, is often, we've only got like a minute and a half. So in a minute and a half, tell us what we need to know, repeat again, where we can find you, especially that wonderful group. And I'm going to share real quick that so viewers see it. You go ahead. Okay. So, you know, the, the foundational message that I think everybody needs to hear, especially in this time is um, do not be afraid. Um, God very clearly says, fear me only and don't fear anything that man can do because I'm over this. Um, and the only thing he, we have to fear from him is abusing the innocent. And we're not doing that, right? We're, we're protecting the innocent. Um, and there's two, you know, and to stay light, um, God says to speak the truth in love. Um, we, I tend to speak the truth in anger, um, or to sit quietly and be loving and nice and never speak the truth, um, to speak the truth in love and to love our enemies and pray for those who persecute us. Um, to, how do you love Anthony Fauci and, 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 um, these people? I don't know, except to say, I don't, you can't wish harm on them. And we start to free ourselves from the fear battle, um, when we do those things. So I, I hope people work in love, even when it's hard and it's painful. So, and that's, I think that's the most important thing to keep your heart light and free and free of fear. Um, you can find me at subst- uh, gingertaylor.substack.com and nodeception.org. Nodeception.org and Ginger Taylor at Substack. Thank you so much, Ginger. I, I It's just such an honor and pleasure to know you, to call you friends. So thank you oh. for being on the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah. You've been listening to an informed life radio on 1150 and KKNW and We'll be back next week. During this unprecedented response to an infection outbreak, it has been made very clear that shutting down lives and businesses is not sustainable or repeatable. We've also learned that it's unnecessary. Treatments exist and always exist. For 99% of the population, nutrients and oxidative therapies that support the immune system and improve symptoms are always available to address viral infections. For the less than 1% who need more, Inexpensive, unpatentable drugs can be added to the nutrient therapies to improve outcomes. It's time each and every one of us empower ourselves with this knowledge. We need not ever bring our lives to a halt again. We can both save lives and retain the liberty that nourishes us body and soul. Learn more at HealthyImmunityNow.org. That's HealthyImmunityNow.org. Are you suffering from a sinking feeling that the COVID-19 pandemic is being blown out of proportion and that nothing in the news is making any sense? If so, then there is a fact-based, science-driven news show designed just for you. 
My name is Del Bigtree, and I am the host of The High Wire, the world's most trusted news source in digital media when it comes to accurate, science-based reporting on the COVID-19 pandemic. From COVID-19 vaccine development to mask mandates, school shutdowns to job layoffs, The High Wire goes beyond providing you with the most accurate, evidence-based investigations. We send you links to the sources for all of our reporting so that you can further your own investigation and come to your own informed conclusions. High above the agenda-driven circus of mainstream media, we do not run. We do not hide from the truth. Instead, we walk the high wire. If you care about truth, then join us on Instagram, Twitter, Roku, and our website, thehighwire.com. Informed Choice Washington is a nonprofit organization that advocates for healthy immunity, medical freedom, and fully informed medical consent. The right to make medical choices without coercion is fundamental to our civil liberties and a basic principle in all human rights declarations. To learn more, tune in each Friday from 3 to 5 p.m. to an Informed Life Radio and visit the website informedchoicewa.org. It's time to take a stand for medical freedom. Go to informedchoicewa.org today.